Police responded to a 911 call. Dramatic video of gun insanity in the Bronx. Police releasing a new video of a person that they are still trying to track down. Defund the police is not the answer. Many people surveyed said they just don't feel safe in the city. It's a shooting outside of a store. This is Bo Deedles. True crime. Police this morning are searching for the person who turned this Harlem platform to a crime scene. A Red Apple Media Podcast Network production. Now, here's Bo Deedle. Welcome to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story Podcast. We're going to talk today about a case that still haunts me, this case. It uh, happened many years ago, me as a private investigator, and it has to do with a girl named Barbara Mangiamelli. One of the most beautiful, I never met her, but I saw a picture of her. And she was hauntingly beautiful. And it stayed in my mind through this whole investigation. So how it all came about. I was in my office in Queens at the time. And this gal comes in there. And it turns out to be she was the sister of Barbara Mangiamelli. And uh, she tells me her sister's been missing for three weeks and she doesn't know what happened. So I started to find out the whole story. Seems like she met these two brothers, these Italian brothers right from Italy. And uh, Barbara Mangiamelli was a gemologist. So what a gemologist is, it's a person who deals with diamonds and precious stones and all that. And supposedly she took, I believe, if I remember correctly, was six of these diamonds on consignment. And that's what you normally do with these things. You take them, then you show them to a person to see if they're uh, interested in buying the diamonds. And part of these diamonds are if they're GIA, Gemological Institute of America, if they're GIA certified, it gives it really more of a value. So in other words, these stay consistent of their value. So the sister tells me the story about her sister meeting this guy named Fausto and Rialto was the other brother's name. And uh, she meets this guy, Fausto, good-looking young Italian guy, and he was talking to her about that he's interested in purchasing some real expensive good diamonds. And he goes, oh, my brother, he's in the diamond business. His name is Rialto, and he's very, very interested in buying some real high-quality diamonds. So the first time, I believe, she took out one diamond, and uh, she showed it to him, and and then the, the diamond came back. Now, all of a sudden, Fausto, she says, this is the the sister telling the story. Fausto had her sister go to a party weeks prior, and then her sister woke up, and she went actually to the hospital. They slipped her some kind of a mickey, we find out later. Uh, Scamalapine, I think it was. That's like a horse tranquilizer. So what happened was, I believe they were testing the to see how much she could take of this stuff. Because she went to a party with Fausto. She met this guy, Rialto. And Rialto was described as this very debonair guy who walked with a walking stick. I think he had a, a walking stick with jewels on it, some, some fugazi thing like that. And uh, she met him at the party, and he mentioned about, oh, I'm in the market six of beautiful diamonds. I want the flawless diamonds and the best quality of the diamonds. And now these kind of diamonds could go anywhere. Uh, if you're talking about five, six carats, these diamonds could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars each in this market today. I'm sure they're worth at least that. So now the sister 
the last time she hears from her sister was, like I said, three weeks ago. So I said, well, what'd you do? She goes, well, I went to the police department and they won't take a report. They said, well, she took, I mean, she had these diamonds. She disappeared. I said, what priest did you go to? So she told me the precinct. So all of a sudden she says, Bo, my sister called me every day. Bo, my sister called her mother every day. Bo, are you Italian? I said, yeah, I'm Italian. What difference does that make? She goes, you know the closeness of a mother and a daughter. And there's no way that my sister, if she's alive or if she's not captive, would not call me or my mother. And I right away, I realized the same thing. This is not somebody stealing these diamonds. Some, there's foul play involved. So I go to the precinct there and I meet with the detectives and I give them the story. And I said, come on, guys. This is someone who called the mother Every day, called the sister every day. They haven't heard in three weeks. So if she took the, the six diamonds and she went to Costa Rica or Pango Pango, she would call her mom, say, I'm fine. Her sister, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Didn't happen. Makes me believe there is really foul play going on. So now all I have is this information. Now, what I do do is I remember one thing. I got the diamond invoices from the jeweler that gave her the diamonds. So what I ended up doing, I brought them to the Gemological Institute, and I put a hold on them. So in other words, a hold on them means if anybody sends these diamonds back, people have to understand, if you want to certify the diamond you got, you actually send it in a parcel package to the Gemological Institute, and what they'll do is they look through a microphone— microscope and they recertify the diamond that it is in fact say it's six carat d flawless they'll give you another certification that gemological institute of america has certified that this in fact is that diamond so what i did was i put a hold so if any of these six diamonds show up i want to be contacted immediately i then go and i find out a little bit about this brother they had he had an apartment on, I think it was 70-something street on the east side, Fausto. So I end up going over there, and I meet with the landlord, and the landlord was there, and he mentioned to me that Fausto lived upstairs, and he remembers a girl, and I showed the picture of Barbara. He remembers a morning where she was ringing the bell, Fausto, I know you're up there. I know you're up there. Fausto, where are you? Answer the bell, answer the bell. So he remembers the last time seeing her ringing the bell. And now he, uh, this is months prior. So now he allows me to go upstairs. He walks me upstairs to the apartment and he tells me, you know, we look around the apartment. I says, does anything look unusual here? That, well, I remember when he moved in and he pointed to these steamer trunks and he goes, I remember there was three steamer trunks here and there was only two there. Huh? Does it mean anything? Eventually, you'll you'll find out it did mean something. So now I then start checking uh, uh, records, credit card records, and on the day of her disappearance, the brother Rialto took a, I think it was Hertz or Davis uh, hatchback, something to hire. Uh, and when I asked the person that took the report from the rent the car or the hatchback, they said they wanted something where they could put a large piece of furniture in there. So now. You're investigating. So now they disappeared. You can't find Fausto. You can't find Rialto. They're gone. They're in the wind, as we would say. So we do find out that Rialto worked for Bear Stearns. He worked in this, what they call a cage. And everything in the cage is recorded. 
So now we're trying to find out where these guys are. Where's Barbara? And the family's interacting with me. And I said, look, I'm trying my hardest. We'll, 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 we'll pray to God we'll find her. So now pops up, I get an alert that in Palm Beach, Florida, at this jewelry store, one of the stones appeared. One of the stones I put the alert on. I contact the FBI, some of my friends in the FBI. We shoot down there to Palm Beach, and we find out that it was $10,000 given on the stone, and they're supposed to come back in a week to recover the other sixty or $70,000 for the stone once it comes back that the GIA certified it. So now we lay in wait. And then who shows up? I, I think they had a Bentley or a Rolls Royce, some kind of a expensive car. These two idiots show up, Rialto and Fausto, and uh, they come out of the car, and we grab them. The FBI really grabs them, and now we have them under arrest. But we only have them under arrest for possession of stolen property, the diamond. But they, the FBI, really good guys there, they know that they have some kind of involvement with the disappearance of Barbara Mangiamelli. So I let the, them tell the United States attorney, we have possible a murder involved here. So we have to keep these two boys, these good old boys in jail. So now they're in jail. Oh, let me see. They were in jail three months and no Barbara Mangiamelli. All of a sudden, I think I was listening to probably WABC radio, I'm sure it wasn't 1010 wins. And they mentioned about a body that surfaced down by the battery. It was a female body that looked as though it was in the water for four or five days. They're making a determination, which is crazy. And all of a sudden, it was hogtied. Hogtied means from the wrist to your ankles with cord. So now I hear this on the radio, and now all of a sudden, I'm saying, now they identify her, and it's Barbara Mangiamelli. Now, I rush down to the medical examiner's office. I knock on the door. I said, I got to talk to somebody, the assistant. I said, look, I got to talk to the medical examiner. He's making a statement there. I got two guys that have been jailed for two months that murdered this girl. And now you're saying the murder that she was only murdered for three or four days or four or five days. You're letting them off murder. Let me explain something to you. I know one thing. We found a body upstate New York in a cold lake. Seven years later, the body looked like it could have walked away. It was it was on the bottom of a lake, and 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 the body was so so preserved. I said, in reality, what happened is we think that the body was put in a chest, steamer chest. Eventually, the steamer chest dilapidated, fell apart, and the body went to the surface, to the warmer water, and with the current, floated down the Hudson River. And as the body's floating down the Hudson River, then you have the fish, you have crabs. Everybody gets a, has a little meal time. They eat the nose, the eyes, and then basically that's the body you're going to see, which would look like it's only been in the water for four or five days. I told the medical examiners, you better recant this because you're going to let two guys off of murder because they've been in jail for two months and they killed this woman. He then pulls back and makes a statement that the body, they, it was undetermined amount of time that the body was in the water. We never got the chest. They sent divers down and never, never found the chest. But you found her hogtied and she was hogtied with uh, a Venetian blind cord. That was what was used. So now you got a hog tie. We got these two creeps in jail. 
and we got to be able to prove that they had something to do it. Now we end up getting the tapes from the the Bear Stearns cage where Fausto is calling his brother in Italian, whatever the hell they say in Italian, I can't speak Italian. And he was saying, we have a problem. She's not drinking it on the date of her disappearance. So basically the brother says to him, you do what you got to do. That was in Italian. El duo, what you got to do. Oh, I don't know how to speak Italian, but he said it. And what we did was we got an interpreter to say what the guy was saying. And he said, do what you got to do. Hence, she had a contusion on her head also with the, with the, with the autopsy. So he smashed her head in when she wasn't drinking. The, uh, I believe he was trying to get her to drink the scamalapine again, and she wouldn't drink it. And then he told his brother, do what you got to do. So now we got that on tape in Bear Stearns in the cage. So we, now we're building the case, building the case. So I also found out that they were renting a house in Staten Island. So I said to myself, you know what? I looked around the apartment. Now the police are actively involved. Now this is a murder case. So I got the, all, the, all the help from the, uh, the New York City Police Department, the great detectives, homicide detectives, crime scene detectives. So now I slip away and I go to the uh, location in Staten Island. So I'm walking around the house. And I'm looking through the, the basement window, the little window, and I see on the floor in the basement, I see some pieces of cord. So, yes, I did. I illegally went through that window. Illegally, I didn't give a crap that woman was killed. And I got those, I didn't put them there. I got those pieces of cord, which I give to the detectives. And I said, I found them in the backyard. I lied. I didn't find them in the backyard. They were in the basement full view, but by the time I would have got a warrant, which I probably maybe wouldn't have gotten a warrant, I got them, and then I gave them to the detectives. Guess what? The pieces of rope that she was tied with, the Venetian blind cord, matched exactly of the ones that she was hogtied with. So now you have the same cord that she was hogtied with and we found in their house. That's that's a pretty good substantiation of evidence now leading towards this. So now we are able to arrest them for the murder of Barbara Mangiamelli and these two scumbags, and that's what I'm going to use, that killed this beautiful gal. They were arrested for her murder. The problem with this thing, I believe that they came back, this moron jury, and they came back with a jury verdict of uh, convicting them only for uh, 12 or 15 years. I don't remember exactly what the what the sentence was, but we were able to bring closure to the Mangiamelli family for this horrific murder of their daughter. And to this day, I think about it, and I think about, you know, why kill a beautiful woman like that over over money and all that. And it just, it, it stays on me. I just wish to God that I was able to get involved with the case a little sooner and maybe help and save her life. But my, uh, my whole career in the police department, even in private investigations, few cases do affect me. And Barbara Mangiamelli was one case. And my heart and soul goes out to the family. And I hope they're all well. And, uh, you know, any any questions about anything? Absolutely. This case, when I was actually preparing for um, our podcast today, this is the case that I wanted to talk about. And when you came in today and you said, oh, my gosh, I want to talk about this case. 
I thought it was a great idea. This is unfathomable on how like people can are so twisted in their minds and they think that like these things are okay to do to people. Well, you know, when they do something like this, in their mind, they believe they're smarter than everyone else. They're going to get away with it. And again, these little pieces of evidence, it's like a puzzle. And then when you, you do detective work, a lot of people think, oh, detectives are great. It's a feeling you get. When you, when you get that feeling that, and you're putting the pieces together, and the superintendent of the building was very helpful. And he let me into that apartment. They moved out, but the trunks mm-hmm. were still there, too. And he said to me, the third trunk's missing. Then we checked the, the credit card receipts for them renting the hatchback car or truck, whatever it was. And sure enough, on that date when she disappeared, was that enough? It was enough for me where a light went on that uh, she was put in that trunk. Did I know about her being hogged up? Do I know where that trunk went? All of a sudden, months later, now if that if that medical examiner was saying that the body was in the water for three, for four or five days. You know what he's saying? They couldn't have killed her because they exactly. were in jail. And if he would have put that out and saying that that well, was he, the he, case? He put it out, but then he rescinded it <laughs> and said we did not know the time of that body. You know what I said? Because what you're doing right now is you're letting people off for murder right now. And he kind of realized it. And then I brought that example of a case I had upstate New York. Seven years the body was in the lake cold lake. See, the various temperatures on the bottom of the Hudson River vary. When you're really low down, those temperatures stay cool. That water's got to be 80 to 100 feet deep. So the water down there is cool. It stays cool, even in the summer. Yeah, no sun gets to it, so it doesn't have to warm up. And then what happens when the body comes to to the to the surface now the current is taking the body and now the the heat is there yeah so deteriorate the body and, and plus then you know the the animal life fishes or yep. crabs get to work but uh, that's something and again i felt immediately the big break in this case was talking to the sister yeah. and understanding again you have a mom and you have a dad yeah all of a sudden if you were a gemologist and you disappeared with six stones. How often do you call your mother? I call my on my way home from work every single day without a doubt. I make my rounds of calling everybody in my family. Okay. Now, what happens in your beautiful family? What yeah. happens if Miss Lopez doesn't call her father or her mother for three weeks? Same thing. They would be calling the cops. They would even, it, Not even a week. They would give it maximum a day. <laughs> and what happens if, if the detectives say to your father and your mother, oh, well, she took 60 stones, she had a boyfriend, and she blew away this... You, the family would come back. No, no, you don't get it. Yeah. My daughter calls me every day. Exactly. My sister calls me every day. This is that was the thing that just took me away. And all of a sudden, again, I'm talking to the detective. Come on, Bo. She got six stones worth a million dollars. I said, Don't you get it? Why wouldn't she call her mother and her yeah. sister and say, "Don't worry about me. I'm off to see the wizard." Yeah, or <laughs> at least something off. to just not have them. Because I'm sure if that was the case, I'm sure she would know that they would call the cops, and then the cops would be looking for her as right. a suspect if she had stones. Well, at that so, at that point, if you steal if you steal jewelry or diamonds, that ain't so bad as being murdered. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, I, I, if, if you're my daughter, you stole you stole a million dollars worth of diamonds. I'd say just be careful. Yeah, call like, me every day from wherever you are, or call somebody to let me know you're okay. Exactly. And like just you, be careful. 
Life's yeah. crazy. I. It's really sick how some people can be, especially. I mean, you know, even what's going on in the city with just with every like people dying yeah. for nothing, sitting yeah. waiting for the subway. Like it, it's ridiculous. Well, yeah, going to work. Some people now are actually going to work in New York City. Going to work every day. Reported away. Now they have to travel the uh, Jungle Express. That's what the trains are yeah. called. That's my new name for the subway. <laughs> the Jungle Express. Because you're apt to get some of these some of these animals that are going to attack you are, are sheer animals. And that's the only way you could describe them. Where they have no feeling of an old person. A, a black, Asian, a white, whatever it is. An old senior citizen that is walking uh, very softly where they can't walk properly with a limp and they'll smash them they'll throw them in front of a train they'll slash them they'll stab where's your caring is I, I mean it makes you feel so down on society it really does because you know i used to work on the overnight shift so i was always driving into work and recently i got switched to the daytime shift so now i have to take the train don't take the train and hold on I'm yeah. going to tell you right now, I'm going to go in and your father's in there. I'm going to be yelling at, <laughs> at your father. You take the Uber and let ABC pay for it and yeah. tell Uncle Bo said that. I did not. You know what's funny? The first day, right, I took the train into work and I and I told my grandma before I started taking the train, I was like, Grandma, like, you know, there's so much stuff going on. Like, God forbid anything were to happen. Like, it's scary out there. Wow. The second day of doing my new work hours, the subway shooting happened. I was on a different subway. I mean, you know, thank God, like, it wasn't my subway or anything, but, like, you know, you think. It's like, I came out of the subway, and my phone was blowing up saying there was a shooting in Brooklyn, and I'm like, this is this is exactly why it is scary to even just, like, be well, a citizen Well, when we finish this uh, podcast, I'm going to talk to your father, Chad Lopez, the president <laughs> of ABC. I'm going to tell him. You start paying for the Uber, you understand? Because you know what? I'll give him a right hook. He yeah, will well, pay for the Uber. Well, now I drive in. Oh, I you're drive driving in again. In now. Yes. Okay. Yes. And let him pick up the check. Let him pick up the parking then, okay? Yep. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to One Tough Podcast. Next week, we're going to talk about another crime story that I had a personal involvement with. And then, you know what we're going to do, too, is we're going to look at some cases in the future. Again, everybody. Thank you for listening in, and we'll be back next week with one tough podcast to bring you up to date, and then one tough, real, true crime story podcast by Bo Deedle. Thank you. <laughs>